get ready for your unofficial dental hygiene podcast. These are the tales of two hygienists, one East Coast RDH and one West Coast Gygenist. Listen as they tackle the profession of dental hygiene with humor and enthusiasm. Now, please join Michelle Strange and Andrew Johnston as they tell you a tale of two hygienists. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of A Tale of Two Hygienists, episode 127. This is Andrew. This is Michelle. Welcome, listeners. What up, yo? Not much. It's a holiday week. Hope yeah, happy everybody of July, is gonna everyone. have a yeah. Got fun plans. Stay safe. Mm-mm. Keep all your fingers. Yeah. All that fun stuff. Fourth of July is my favorite holiday. It's been my favorite holiday for a long time. Um, you know, Washington, we have a lot of reservations, which are technically sovereign nations, right? So they can sell whatever they want to sell, and there's all sorts of aerials, <laughs> and it's not quite so dry around here, right? So um, Western Washington, we have all sorts of aerial, big kaboomies. So, oh, really? Yeah. You spend a, a few hundred dollars and you're in for a good night. I, being in South Carolina, we are allowed to sell fireworks, but you cannot fire them. So... That sounds I sounds like South don't, Carolina. I don't know why. It does. It really, if I had to find an example of the ridiculousness that sometimes is our government, it is that you can buy fireworks everywhere, every corner. You just cannot fire them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay. All right. Next, it's going to be like, you can buy the weed. You just can't smoke it. <laughs> I'm just waiting for that. Yeah. You can buy it, but just you can't eat it. You can't smoke it. You can't do any of that. So tonight, um, I well, this afternoon, I was highly distracted, but with a Facebook post, and I just don't. Oh, Why do you allow lost, that to get to you? I don't know. But honestly, it's, it's, it triggers me to do my own research to make sure that I'm not losing my mind. Sure. And then it re- triggers me to write an article. So it's, it's. Oh, so that worked out okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it does. And I I ask around. I'm like, am I the only one that's, like, losing my mind? But it was about flossing. And this one person said uh, somebody who didn't get um, their teeth flossed during a profi, a cleaning, whatever, uh, called back and complained because she felt she didn't get a cleaning. And this hygienist was like, am I the only one that flosses everyone's teeth on every appointment? And Daniel and I, of course, were probably out of five out of a hundred plus that were like, nope, I don't. I don't floss every patient. I rarely floss a patient, actually. I do all the other jazz. If I do glycine, air poly, if I do all those things, I spend no time flossing and I use that time on, I know. Let me also give the caveat that I'll spend time flossing. If that's the home care tool that is right for them, I will show them how to floss, and then I will watch them floss their teeth. But I don't think I need to be doing that, especially if that's not the tool that they should be using. So I was just so amazed. And, like, the comments were like, of course, it's essential to the appointment. I'm like, essential? It's essential to to this appointment? I just need somebody to make sense of this for me. Like, help me not want to rip my eyeballs out because hmm. hmm. at this point I do. So was anyone able to help you not want to rip your eyeballs out? No, because they yeah. keep going. They keep going. Yeah. They, and I just don't, and I get it like, uh, or they'll say, of course, because I have to show them how to do the C shape. I'm like, well, no one can do the C shape. No one can do the C-shape. That's why flossing is so ineffective. So can we all just please move past the fact that flossing is the end-all, be-all? And this is even in Europe when people were like, why is, America, why is American like sales for floss so high? I'm like, I don't know. I don't get it because everyone else gets it except for us. I think now I also don't want to be a, like anti-flossing campaign because I think floss works in the right hands and the right mouth. Hmm. It absolutely does. Hmm. If they have the greatest technique, they have their pre-disease, they have no reduced periodontium where we have curvy anatomy, things like that. Like, yes, they should absolutely be doing that. 
any tool mm. that works in their hands and in their mouth, they should absolutely be using. But it, it is not meant for everyone. And I wish we would get off of this train already. Because I'm I think you're stupid, mind. Michelle. I think you're so dumb right now. It's because not, I get so upset about, about it? Well, I mean, they probably misrepresented themselves too. It's not even about hardly any of that. A lot of it's about patient perception and the business of dentistry. And the business of dentistry is making sure that the patients feel like they got a good enough clean. I don't know how many times I could tell you that I've had a almost perfectly no calculus patient come in. And while I don't technically scale on their teeth, I still go b- between the, their teeth with my curettes because I want them to feel like I did a good job for them. Did I do a good job? I didn't really have to because their home care is impeccable. And what I do and the effects of my cleaning are going to last less than 24 hours. So not really, but that's not what it is. It's, it's about the business side and making people happy. But when does that a change? When does that change? Because how are we supposed to educate patients and improve oral health if we're always just giving them what they think they need? It's not, it's not going to ever change. That's just, that's just part of the cleaning that you that they get. That's hor- I I highly disagree, and I I cannot stand that that is the the way that our future of dentistry is going to go. Like, how, okay, so what if one day we aren't doing polishing? We're just doing guided biofilm therapy. Yeah. What so about it? I mean, is that not the better way to do it? Are we still going to polish people's <laughs> teeth afterwards? Or are we not going to teach them? What if? What about the days of ultrasonics? Like so, when people. What What about all of that? Yeah, no, you're not. You're not wrong. I think the problem is though is there's going from me to you, and then you back to me. You're going to look terrible because I did all the things that they've had their whole entire life, and you haven't. And so I don't want to say you're maybe too far in the future with what you're doing. Are you trying to pick something out of your wine? I have a stupid fruit fly in there. Oh. I hear you, but But, my life can't go on until this fruit fly is out of here. Okay. So, but the whole thing is like, okay, if, so guided biofilm therapy is different though than polish, or it's the same thing almost as polishing. Now, if you were to say, okay, here is interdental cleaning, blah, 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 and we start talking about that and use the, the interdental brushes and things like that as a replacement to the floss, great. But the problem I have is when you're using ultrasonic, and then, which, yes, we, as we know as clinicians that that's getting all the crap out of there, we know that. They don't know that. They don't feel that. So if you did ultrasonic and interdental brushes, great. I feel like that's a good enough replacement. And I feel like they would understand that this is what I'm doing instead. However, because people don't do some sort of interdental care with flossing or interdental brushes, you can't get rid of both of those things. No, I don't, I don't get rid of both of those things. My thing is, okay, so if we are not going, if we're just going to always give the patient what they want because they expect these certain things, where, where's the evolution? But I think you took what I said out of context a little bit there. It's not always well, about giving the patient everything that they want no matter what. Thank God. There's going to be a replacement of that thing, right? There has to be a replacement. To a certain you can't, extent. You can't just not floss and then just be like, oh, well, it's okay, blah, blah, blah. You can't just do that. You have to replace it with something, and it has to be something that in their brain can be equal to, and in our and brain this, is going to be helpful for them. And this is have to because it has to be from their perspective that they had something put between their teeth, therefore they are now cleaned by the hygienist? Is that, am I understanding that right? Well, I think it also should be part of our normal, we should show them how to clean in between their teeth also. Of course. So it shouldn't well, be. If it's a part of, of OHI, different story right. versus if but it's a, the ending of, the of your cleaning. That's but you could do OHI beforehand. Though. But you could do it before. I mean, I guess you, I guess you could. It just doesn't have to be the end. But psychologically, and it have to be the that's most not going to the thing. Yeah, but there's a whole psychological component what do you to what mean? we do. If what do you, you mean did it's OHI afterwards or at you know towards the end of your appointment, and part of that OHI was interdental cleaning with brushes or floss or whatever you're using, I feel like they would say, "Oh, they did do that thing." But it sounds like from the story you were saying, I feel like that person did not floss slash. They also probably did not use proxy brushes because no one uses that except for you and a few of your freak friends. <laughs> and, and that's the about uh, it. the pe- the smarter people in the world, the elites of the of the, the dental elites. hygiene group. <laughs> 
Um, no, you know what I mean though? It's like, if you're not doing anything for interdental, then that's not okay. And if you want to do, if you so want to what play is with the, the perception of the patient and do all that after everything, that way that you're getting what you want and they're getting what they need. Great. Just do it that way. So, again, so you're saying the scaling, the ultrasonicing, if we're doing guided biofilm therapy, that's not good enough for interdental No, I don't care. think it's good enough because they don't have those tools at home and they need something at home to be able to use. But that, what if I do all that beforehand? What if I, they already have that instruction because I did it last week? Great. Maybe but that doesn't have to no. be... A, a, listen, I'm like... I spend... I'm a strong 20 minutes on OHI. Every single time. And I will hands down leave a speck of supergingival calculus without a second thought about it. Right. And my doctor, I'll be like, yeah, I know it's there. Don't, you don't need to tell me. I know it's there, but I, they know how to brush their teeth. So OHI is a huge part of my appointment. But the per- perception of my patients, I have a conversation with them. And I understand that this is different for every office because mm. you are restricted in some cases. And I definitely have a little bit more leniency with what I can do. I'm actually just like set forth in my, like go do your thing within your scope of practice. Come get me when you need me. And I'm like, sweet, peace out. I'll get you on the flip side because Mm -hmm. I can do all of this that I need to do for patient education. And I tell my patients, today's going to feel a little different. I have newer instruments. I have things that are changed. We have dentistry that's evolving. So it's going to go a little bit different today. If you have any questions about what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, what it's replacing, let me know. I would love to tell you why I'm doing it. Like, why can't that evolve? I think that, that sounds great in that particular setting that you're doing. And there's going to be different settings. FQH is going to be a little bit different. Any sort of federally funded anything, whether it's Medicaid, clinic, or whatever. Those are all going to be different. Private practice, though, you have to remember, you have to retain the patient in addition to getting them healthy, in addition to all the other things you have to do. And that's, I think, the sticking point behind all of this. Probably. And it's probably going to be different everywhere. But I still did that in private practice. I did that in my perio office, especially with the alternating. And perio offices are a little bit different than general offices. Maybe. But I've always, even when I temp, though, I still did it different. I went in there with my same technique as a temp and said, I'm going to polish first. That's going to be different for you. I'm going to Cavitron next. You're going to have a lot of water in your mouth for a little bit. And then I'm going to hand scale. And then we're going to sit up and we're going to talk about the things that I saw in your mouth. Just so you know, that's the flow. That's how I work. And I would explain, oh, it's like cleaning before the maid comes when I polish before, you know, I Cavitron or hand scale. Like joking, Mm. giving them analogies. I've never had pushback. I've had one crazy patient that needed me to profujet and polish and scale and ultrasonic and floss and interdental clean her teeth. Wait, so you did but all of those it. things? All of them for so her why, and hand but, but there's no benefit to all those things, Michelle. Why would you ever do those things? Um, because I took Xanax and I could get through the day when I saw her. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. But that's one you patient. did it because the pa- you wanted to make the patient happy. Even though they didn't actually need it. Well, I kind of actually didn't polish Boom. with anything. But Done co- with that conversation. I win again. Winner and still champion. 1% of my 15 years of seeing patients. Yes. Great. I've never had a patient complain about me not flossing. So, Do you floss I, or not? Yeah, I do. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, um, I have okay. nowhere have I. They don't complain when I explain things to them, and I tell them if they don't like it, they can go somewhere else. But they can't <laughs> go somewhere else in private practice, Michelle. They can't sometimes. The, where? Are to you kidding another me? dentist? Okay, I'm saying I'm not saying that every office is like this, but <laughs> even though my last office was a a, a nightmare, yeah. If she she absolutely supported me when I was like. I did all the things that need to be done for based upon our protocol and research base. She doesn't want me to do them. And she was like, well, tell her that that's, that's, that's her option. She can go anywhere she wants to go then. So okay. that's not all you offices. You guys are dumb. I get it. And you guys don't care about Why? the business model. So you're losing money and you're losing I don't. patients. Bye. I'll get another you're, patient in. My you're patient, so dumb. My, patient, my schedule so was always full. Always okay. full. Let's move on. You're going to frustrate me about the business side of dentistry. Well, you know I hate the business side of things. 
Yeah. But how is that not okay? So if that's the business side of things, shouldn't you also pick your patients and your practitioner depending on what works for you? So shouldn't I go to a dentist that where I'm like, okay, I would like for you to take x-rays based upon the risk assessment, not insurance. Or if you, do, if you don't follow those protocols, I'll go to a different office. Is and I want to go to an office that reasonable? wears a hazmat suit and has a big old suction thing over the... That works for them. X-ray. That's so... Michelle, no, you're going on from but tangents that, and extreme cases, and that's not what this is all about. But if that doesn't work for... If, so what, if the pa- patient's supposed to just put up with it? And we're supposed to put up with them? What do you mean put up with anybody? Most people Why have a good time. Find- like, why has it got to be so, like, there's so much animosity there? There doesn't have to be. Like, why? It, it's fine. Like, just go. They enjoy their time. They get their cleaning. They get their education. They get healthier as they're going along. Everyone's happy, making money. Everyone's great. Where do you? Oh, Shangri-La. You work, in, you work for the state that has um, weed is legalized. Yeah, so all my patients are baked all the time when they come in. So it's wonderful. (laughs) They're all super happy. Um, Someone else is doing a research study that I just met met at the pool this weekend on adolescents and having true weed and uh, marijuana addiction. Like true addicts, like alcohol, cocaine. They say it doesn't exist, though. I, this study actually was saying very, very different, but it also correlated very strongly with those people who had cocaine addiction and any other drug addiction and alcohol addiction, even food addiction. They were finding all kinds of correlations with it. But it's being done here at, and at MUSC, which I thought was interesting in a state where it's not legal. That is interesting. All right. So moving on, Michelle, moving on. So before we get to our interview this week, we have our special offer from Zerk, who is sponsoring this episode. Um, This is actually a a new product for Zerk. It's called the Pink Petal. Yeah, it came out just recently, if I can remember correctly. Yeah. So the Pink Petal is is pretty interesting. It's um, think of the... This is going to be kind of a baby bad analogy, but like the little cardboard triangles or um, that you put inside the cheek when you're trying to work on sealants or something like that, that block all the saliva. Except for this one is going to be made out of foam. Well, it also reminds me a little bit of the Mr. Thirsty. Like it kind the of flat does. part that goes into the cheek. That kind of helps retract and things like that. So, so basically what the pink pedal does is it slides onto your existing saliva ejector. And so it's um, trying to create a way to retract the cheek and also allow your suction to sit on the back of the the mouth in the corner of the mouth. So rather than having to like twist your suction unit into 18 different angles and then when you want to move to the other side, switch it and untangle it and then retangle it into five different more angles, this is going to be an easy slide in, situate it, and slide down. We're going to add... we're going to add a YouTube video to the show notes to see how easy it is to put on. And the patient can still close with it in, which is mm-hmm. I, I really like. So if you have the uh, suction type where you can allow the patients to close without getting that, what is it, like backflow back or some, yeah. mm-hmm. something like that, um, if they are allowed to do that, you can have that happened with the pink petal still even attached in the patient's mouth. And then when the doctor comes in and wants to do the exam so that the pink petal is not in the way, all you do is slide it back down to the base and then the doctor can use the suction just like a regular uh, saliva ejector. So it's really versatile, really easy to use. The promo code for this week is $5 off of a 50 pack. Normally it's $25. Now it's only $20. And the promo code is ATOTH5, A-T-O-T-H, Five, limit one per person, one fifty pack per person. Not Sweet, one pink petal per person. Not one pink petal. Thanks for clarifying that'd be, that. That'd be really bad. Um, <laughs> and also family. check out the Facebook page because we'll put a, a few of the the images on there. Since this is a new product, encourage everyone to look um, and see what it looks like. Yep. And then today, 
our, for this week's episode, I should say, we have Cindy Purdy on the podcast talking about ergonomics. Uh, if you are ever at an exhibit hall and you've seen crown seating, I know you've probably seen or met Cindy. She's also written many articles and just been really involved in the ergonomics of our field and trying to help us be healthier and happier and work a little bit longer without all those aches and pains. Hey, Michelle. Yeah. It's time for the interview. Oh, but I had something else to say. We need to let the experts talk now. Fine. So we are back with the interview portion of A Tale of Two Hygienists, and we have Cindy Purdy here. And we adore Cindy. She's always a good time and a wealth of information, and we're glad to finally have you on the podcast. So welcome, Cindy. Thank you so much. So tell us about you. For those that have never heard you or seen you speak. <laughs> I am a dental hygienist, obviously. I've been practicing for 38 years. Um, I do um, presentations on ergonomics because that's where my passion is. I've, In addition to being a hygienist, I've gone and taken um, extra education on ergonomics. I have a certificate in ergonomics from the University of Colorado. I have a number of certificates in like healthcare ergonomics. I'm what's called the CEAS. So I am an RDH CEAS. The line just keeps on going. <laughs> but a CEAS is a certified ergonomic assessment specialist, which basically means I'm certified to go into dental offices. Well, any any workplace, but I specifically have changed it to dental offices and assess each um, employee's risk for um, ergonomic um, injuries and then give them um, answers and let them know what different products that are out there to help them. I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> I know. So where, where, how, like, how do you do that? How do you, it's how a, did you get it's, that? It's a mystery. No, it's really not. I, I don't, don't tell anyone, but it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> <laughs> but it just, is, you are what, a specialist <laughs> in this now. So how did you do that? And like, so, why, um, what fueled your passion for it? Um, because I'll tell you why. B- back in the day when I was um, a hygienist, a young, you know, a young hygienist, it was when everybody just was a private practitioner and every hygienist was working by themselves and had no connection with each other except for at our annual meetings. And I noticed I'm from New Mexico. I noticed as I um, each year, it's like, well, we're so and so, we're so and so, and oh, didn't you hear? She has a blah blah blah, and she can't practice anymore. And the next year, well, where is she at? Well, she had to have surgery for blah blah blah, and she's not practicing anymore. And I kept thinking, you know, of course I cared about my my um, the gals I graduated with, but it was like, what is this? Everyone has this. What is this blah blah blah? And what is this? You know, all these odd names I had never heard before. And I kept wondering. You know, I could read in our journals. Of course, that's the first place I go to our journals to find out what is it, blah, 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 blah. And it turned out that they had names for all of these things. They would describe the symptoms, but no one was addressing how to not get this problem. I I wanted to stay in this career. I was my career forever. And I had kids to put through college and I kind of wanted to take a vacation once in a while. So I wasn't ready to give my career up. So I started researching to see what these syndromes were and what these injuries were so that I wouldn't have to, I wouldn't be getting them myself and I could not find any answers. So that's why I started thinking, what do we have in common here? Maybe it's the workplace environment that we're working in. So that's why I started looking a little deeper into ergonomics to see if that wasn't um, the problem. And as it turns out, it it definitely is. Here's the best description of ergonomics I've been able to come up with in all my studies. Um, It's finding the best possible match for the greatest number of people by adapting the product to fit the user. And in dentistry, we do the exact opposite. (laughs) We are the users and we adapt ourselves to fit every single product that's around us. We adapt ourselves to fit the patient. We adapt ourselves. Oh, that I can't get that light all the way back there. So I'm going to adapt my head so that I can get better visualization back there. We do the exact opposite of what ergonomics is. And so I just continued on with my studies and with my affiliations with manufacturing companies to find out what products are out there that we can start using instead of adapting ourselves because we're not going to last that long. The products are going to last a lot longer than we are. Truly. So that's a great way of like, I, you know, it's one of those things like, you know it, but until you, you hear it, 
you're like, oh, that is so true. We really do. <laughs> it is. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to have death by cords in my life, like <laughs> right. in, right. in the op or x-ray unit. Like that's what right. I'm going to knock my head on the <laughs> that's, x-ray unit. That's going to take you out. <laughs> Well, that's when I, that's what, as I said, that's when I started associating with different companies. And I found out just through walking through um, an exhibit hall and talking to some of the people who are at those booths, they really, if we tell them what we want, they will start designing it. They are there saying, well, we didn't know that's what you needed. We didn't know that that was an issue. And so that's where I continued on my relationships with these companies. And so now I work for a couple companies as their clinical educator to help them. Just this week, I'm going up to um, Crown Seating and Dental Works, and I'm gonna work, Dental Works is portable equipment, and I'm gonna work with them to show them all the ergonomic things that need to be changed as a, per, as a hygienist who's using portable equipment. What do they need and what products need to be changed? What knobs need to be different? What corners need to be rounded? Things like that. What, what cords need to be lengthened so that we don't have to reach so far? So it's it's the the minutia of right. that it's the details that uh, if you do it every day all day that's when you start so it's not the obvious I would correct feel. and that's what it is it's it's repeating it over and over and over again um, there are three things that increase your risk for musculoskeletal disorder and it is duration frequency and intensity so duration how many times we do that same action over and over and over again. Um, frequency, do we do it every single day? Are we working five days a week or are we working seven days a week? I know all of us, if we had a choice, we would want to work. Um, if we had a choice and only had to work three days a week, we would all choose that Tuesday through Thursday job, right? We want to work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and have those nice long weekends open for us. But what you've got to understand is, you're, you're at a higher risk for musculoskeletal disorders working three days in a row than say if you were working Monday, Wednesday, and Friday because you would have a day in between to have a rest period. Interesting. And, and so okay. the, the last thing is, in, is intensity. Intensity means, you know, if, our, if, if it's our goal to work in downtown Washington, D.C. and for working with the homeless, great, perfect, don't give up that passion, but you've got to realize that it's going to be harder work there than if you were working, you know, where I work in rural Colorado, that's not as, as difficult. Well, it is, but it's just not as much. So you have to really, you need to balance that out. So if you're going to work in, in you know, the homeless center in Washington, DC, then do that two days a week and the other two days a week work in, in, a, in a situation that's a lot lighter where you're, the, the demand on your body isn't as much on your hands and, and such. So those everybody says, oh, but ergonomics is so expensive. Ergonomics to them means buying um, uh, loops, lights and a saddle stool. Oh, and it's so expensive, I can't afford it. If you just pay attention to duration, frequency and intensity, it doesn't cost you a dime to do that. Don't be doing... Um, six hours of scale and root plane back to back. Do two in the morning, two in the afternoon, things like that. Try to get a little bit of control over your um, over your schedule in that way. And and again, it doesn't cost you a dime to practice better ergonomics in that way. Do, do you think that hygienists, as far as the work groups within the dental office have, are like the most at risk or are dentists, are dentists and assistants equally at risk? If you wanna know the absolute truth, I think dental assistants are at the most risk uh, yeah. there, because there aren't a lot of products out there to help them. And they they um, they're sitting far away. It's hard to get loops to that distance. And then they have to run over to the uh, operator side and help with, uh, you know, the temporary cementation. So it's very hard to get the proper working distance for them to use loops. I truly believe that dental assistants are at a great at a great risk but at least they get to get up and move and change tasks, which is very important. They have a little bit of a rest period in between and a lot of dental hygienists. And the dentist also has a break where he's moving from one room to another, changing from doing amalgams to doing crown preps to, to doing extractions. The problem with dental hygienists is we sit in the same place doing the exact same thing, doing the same overreaching, overextending. Um, we, but, there, but we have a lot more products that are available to us, such as, the non-sharpening instruments where we don't have our grip doesn't have to be as hard. Those kind of things have been advancing for dental hygienists and they have not been advancing for dentists and dental assistants. And I think it's basically because we've been complaining about it. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think a lot We're of us are. cleaning stuff. Yeah, we really are. Right. And I used to joke all the time because when I started as a hygienist, I started as a surgical assistant and a hygienist. So I flopped days of the week and I did that five days a week. And I was always like on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I lean this way. And on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I lean this way. <laughs> and I always felt like that was like perfect for me because I was it was changing. Every day was different. It is a little bit, it's good to be balanced. And that's the whole thing about um, muscle imbalance and what's wrong with leaning forward or, you know, leaning over to see the buckle of, num uh, of number 16 is because now those muscles, the side to which you are leaning, the muscles there become shorter and stronger. The opposite ones are longer and weaker. So we really do need to balance on both sides. I tell everyone, um, for those hygienists who go to the gym, I am not part of that crowd, but for those that go to the gym and have a um, trainer, <clears throat> I tell them, make sure your trainer knows what you do all day because it's their job to balance out those muscles. And if they don't know what you do all day, they're going to tell you do six things leaning forward and six things leaning backwards. But if you tell them, no, I lean forward all day, they may change that to, okay, I want you to do two forward and eight backwards. You see what I'm saying? Because yes. we want it, we, our muscles are already strong enough on our, the front side of our neck and our chest. It's our back that's weak. Same thing on our hands. The inside of our hand, those muscles are strong. It's the back portion of our hand where the muscles are weak. Yeah, yeah. I actually had that same discussion with, um, I have, I go to a, a office kind of thing that does PT, Cairo, fascia stretching, all, all the, all that jazz. And they were like, you're overstretched on one side and you're other up with my neck. And they're, so if I right. hurt on, I can't even now remember, I think it's always my right <laughs> side that hurts. And they're, and I, but I'm always over there messing with it. They're like, no, you actually need to do the opposite, like stretch it out the other side because that side's shortened, the other side's overstretched. So they're like, don't stop stretching, stop doing that. Right. Like, okay, exactly. Okay. When, when I get my hair done and I lay back in that sink, the right side of my neck hits the sink before the left side of my neck. That's the stronger, Sorry. more, um, more powerful muscle. So, and my headaches are on that side, it's the other side that I need to strengthen. It mm. seems odd that the, the pain comes from one side, but it's because the other side is too weak. Yeah, for sure. And it's our, it's our whole body that we have to think about that. Our right side, our right arm, our left arm. You know, people say, oh, it's, it's but that's my non-dominant hand. Why does that hurt? It's because it's not balanced. Yeah. And also, I mean, for me, that's the arm that's up all the time. Like, I think I'm doing the right. work with my right arm, which is my dominant, but it's like the left that you don't think about because it it's retracting, it's up, it's moving, it's doing all the other, all the things that we're doing. And I, I don't right. think about that being my working arm. And it's unfulcrumed. It, it, exactly. Yeah. So let's yeah. talk about then, um, let's say, let's talk about products. Because one of the things that I notice, and you know, teaching, I will, I'm doing clinical, so I'm going from student to student. I can have up to five students, and I, I sit down, and I'm five three on a good day, and I know that when most of my students are taller than me, and if I sit down in their chair and I feel low, and they they've taken these ergonomic, I'm like, what are you doing? So, and I I, I thought about you because the other day I saw this lovely Facebook post that. Uh, somebody put on there and you were like, are you trying to give me a heart attack here? Like, why are Do you, you want to watch my head explode? Exactly. That's probably what it said. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I love it. She gets as upset about it as I do about like interdental things and whatever. But I was so, trying to keep quiet. Yeah. But you can't because it's wrong right. and it's going to hurt us. And right. so what, what they were talking about is where our hips and our knees and how we should sit in these chairs. So even if you don't have products like a saddle chair, which would be just ideal, what are some things that we can do to protect ourselves? What we're trying to accomplish is we're trying to put our body in neutral position. Neutral position is when the bones, the ligaments, the tendons, the muscles, everything is in their strongest, most stable position. And there is neutral position for every joint and for standing, for sitting, for all of that. So neutral position for sitting actually is with your hips above your knees. Now, I realize and I 
when I lecture on this, I hear it all the time, but that's not what I was taught in school. Well, I'm not telling you <laughs> that you were, I'm not even trying to tell you that what you were taught in school was wrong. I'm trying to tell you that you were taught in a, you, you were using a vehicle, a chair that does not put you in neutral position. So they went around it as best as they could to show you how the best way that you can sit in that chair. It is not neutral position, but that's the way you have to sit in that chair. So that's how I approach it, especially when I'm at a school. It's, very, it's a little bit tedious for me to say, I'm going to tell you how to sit, even though when you take that board or answer those questions, I want you to answer that question with whatever your instructor told you to. Yeah. <laughs> but the problem is, is traditional stools, we call them stools, chairs, no matter. In the dental world, patients sit in a chair and operators sit in stools. So that's why even if it looks like a chair, I'm going to call it a stool because it's an operator stool. But operator stools do not put us in a position that allows us to get into neutral position with our hips above our knees. Um, otherwise, um, that's the reason why saddle stools are becoming um, so um, widely accepted and, and because they are putting your hips above your knees and that's comfortable for your hips and, and any tissues that it might be squeezing, nerve, pinching nerves, things like that. Um, you can sit in a traditional chair, a, a stool, a pay, uh, operator stool in a school, but you could try putting a wedge in there. You know, you can get a wedge at any back store. Anything, or even or if the chair has a tilt, anything that will get your hips above your knees as close as you can. That as, That's as close as you can get to neutral position. Okay. And so Andrew's actually a stander, aren't you, Andrew? And, I'm surprised you remembered that, but yes, I am a stander. Yeah. And a stander is okay, except let me tell you, the history of ergonomics in dentistry is that dentists were standing. Because remember, dentists were barbers, barbers were dentists, right? And that's where we get the barber chairs. Everyone stood. Mm -hmm. Dentists ended up having something like a, a like 46% um, were reporting um, back pain when they were standing. So the whole history of it and the whole reason we went to sitting was because the dentists were having back pain from standing. So that then we decided to sit down and we sat down in a traditional chair and we figured out that that's probably not the best way. We're kind of in the middle of an evolution with seating right now. And we're discovering that neither standing nor what, what we nor sitting is really working. But the best part about and so a lot of people are getting um, varicose veins and problems with their knees and plantar fasciitis with their feet from standing, Andrew. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't stand. It just means you shouldn't stand 100% of the time. And mm. that's what a saddle stool does is it you can have a saddle stool at its highest position. You know, um, a saddle stool is a sit-stand position. And there are even some saddle stools that are more like a stand-sit position. So what it will do is it, it can still put you in a higher position. That's why you like it, because your hips are above your knees. But it also can start causing problems with your, your feet and your legs. So it's like an alter alternate between you could go maybe something like 70% standing and 30% in the saddle stool that puts you in between the two. And that mm -hmm. would be a good combination because the other principle principle of ergonomics besides trying to remain in neutral position is that you need to keep moving. You cannot, it's, um, you can't remain stable all the time. You can't, you can't be um, sitting in one position. You need to be moving. And so by alternating, you're going to get the best of both worlds that way. That's why saddle stools work so great in a dental office, especially for hygienists, because we get up and go take x-rays and then we get up and we go look for the dentist and we, you know, I drop my gauze and I got to go get some more or something. So it's that up and down movement. Saddle stools really aren't that great for sitting in um, in a cubicle, for instance, because it makes you nobody is, is used to sitting for anything for eight hours. So saddle stools in a cubicle, I say, if, if you're, a lot of people say, oh, I love my saddle stool in my clinical, I'm going to take it to my office um, at home. I say, great, but don't sit in it for eight straight hours. If the phone rings, I want you to stand up. You need to find something to make yourself move. So if the phone rings, I stand up and I talk while I'm on the phone, and then I go back to my computer and I sit on my saddle stool. So same thing for you, Andrew, do it a little bit of both. Mm. Yeah, we do. I think it's, you know, doing both restorative and traditional hygiene I'm walking around, moving around all the time. It's it's a little bit more convenient for me that I do my 30 minutes at a time. If I have to be with one patient, it's, it's no longer than 30 minutes at, at one time every hour. So 
I think, yeah, I think that it's a little bit That's different perfect. from me standing up than for maybe other hygienists that are standing up doing their SRP for 90 minutes at a time or exactly. whatever. So. Exactly. And I don't really see you sitting in one place for a long time anyway, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm mosey a little bit. <laughs> Always moving. <laughs> so I would think that the stool is the obvious. So what else, um, I guess, uh, to, what are what are the things that we're, we would be missing so easily as hygienists? <clears throat> missing, you mean um, as far as ergonomic products that can help us? Mm -hmm. Or what are some of the things that you hear misconceptions or um, uh, uh, questions that you hear from your audience members? I really should probably just let you tell us your presentation <laughs> and not interrupt you is what no, it, no, I should no. probably No, I want to know what you, I, I want to know what you want to know. She I, wants the I, answers I, and she doesn't want the lead up to the answers. Just like, tell me now. Okay, let me tell you the first misconception I hear about a saddle stool. How about that? Yes. I hear people say, I won't, oh, I need a back on that. I, that will never support me. That's not, I was told in school that I need to sit in with a back. Very true if you're sitting in a traditional stool that you need a back because the only reason there's a back on any chair anywhere in this entire world is because they know that that for sitting with our thighs parallel to the floor, 90 degree angle, forces our lower back, the lumbar curve, to flatten out. And when that lumbar curve flattens out, um, it just changes all the patterns of our pelvic bone, everything, all the, all the um, positioning. So the only purpose for a back is to shove that curve back in there. So we're going to shove that curve back in there with an outside force, which um, is still not comfortable for us. So we end up sitting at the end of our stool anyway by the end of the patient, right? We slide up to the front, and then we're not even using the back to shove that curve in there. And what did we, when we slide up to the front of the edge of our seat and hold on for dear life, hope we don't fall into that patient's face, what did we do? We just dropped our hips we just dropped our knees above our hips. We just, our body just put itself into ne the neutral position it wants to be in. But it's not, it doesn't have the, the support. Uh, we still ha have a flat lumbar curve. So people don't understand that when you sit in a saddle stool, it automatically puts your spine up underneath you and it's your spine that's holding you up. So you never compromise that lumbar curve. So therefore you don't need that back to shove that curve back into position. So the only purpose for a back is because we're sitting wrong to begin with and we're using an outside force to shove it back into position. That's the biggest misconception. Now, I will put a caveat on that to say that there are those who have had back surgery, shoulder surgery, that their back is already weak and they, they would need a back on a saddle stool and you can put a back through crown seating. We, put, we can put a back on any, any saddle stool that you want. So we get that extra support for those who need it. And it's the only real purpose. For, the other purpose for it would be if you're leaning backwards saying, so you want that, you're going to need a crown. You want that in gold or you want that in porcelain, you know, and how many times we sit and wait for the doctor to come in and do an exam. That really is on a saddle yeah. stool. That's the only purpose to have a back is to lean back during resting time. But when you're actually working, it doesn't give you the support that it does in another chair because it's your spine that's holding you up in a saddle stool. Hmm. I think I never thought about. <laughs> I don't know how to sit right now. I'm like all like trying to figure I out. How I, I, to do doing, I just uh, I crossed my legs, which I have a habit of, and I'm trying to be really conscious of it. But you know who is always pointing that out to me? My students. I'm like, <gasps> yes. oh, Miss Strange. So when you are at that position, you sit with your legs crossed. I'm like. <laughs> no, no, I don't. Not me. Um, no, not at all. Let me uh, get my neutral position here again. Thank right. you. And that's Nothing what like it having is because that, students watch you. That balance, you're trying to create a triangle of balance. And that's what we want. We want you sitting on your bones. We don't want you sitting on your muscles because muscles fatigue. Think back to AMP. It's a long time ago for some of us, believe me. But bones support muscles. Muscles don't support bones. Your muscles will eventually fatigue. So what we're trying to create, and especially, and it, we can get it accomplished on a saddle stool. It's a triangle of bones that we're trying to get to support us. And it's our think of think about the triangle. It's our spine down to our pelvis, and then our thighs. And we want it, both thighs supporting us, and the whole pelvis. We don't want that pelvis to be um, tilted or kinked when you, as when you cross our legs. Or you see many hygienists who 
um, put their legs underneath the patient's head and then cross their, cross at their ankles. <clears throat> oh yeah. Yeah. Um, all of that, basically, we start wiggling around because our muscles are starting to fatigue. We're trying to we start wiggling because we're trying to wake them up going one side is strong. One side is weak. Uh, you know, everything is out of balance. But if we can sit in that triangle with bone supporting us, we'll sit more stable and you don't you don't wiggle as much. Wow. I love always. Know. I do love the whys <laughs> behind why, you know. I'm like, I've been doing it, but I never really understood the why. But that makes perfect sense. And I know that's exactly what I, um, I'm doing there because I don't this, have a saddle stool at my outreach right. program. <laughs> the second thing, um, misconception or thing I would like to clarify is with, with, is with saddle stools. But um, people always, if you're going to error on people say, how do I know? What's the, what's the angle? What angle sh should I be at? Well, I can tell you what angle your popliteal arch, blah, blah, blah. Who cares about that? The popliteal arch is the ar angle between behind your knees. It doesn't matter what that should be because you're never going to remember what that is because you're listening to your patient, you know, tell you about the little ballerina that her granddaughter was in a little ballet thing. You know, you're not paying attention to those angles. So, People tend to sit lower in a saddle stool than they should. So what I always say is if you're going to err in a saddle stool, err on sitting higher. Because when you go higher, all of a sudden your shoulders go back and you have your spine supporting you. We are so very used to sitting in a traditional stool that we sit too low in a saddle stool and we don't quite get our hips opened up enough. So the other thing is if you're going to err, err on sitting too high or err on the, sitting higher. You're not going to sit too high. Your feet aren't going to be dangling off the, you know, off the chair. Um, that's, that's too high, but try to go higher versus lower. You'll be more comfortable. So in regards to, because you were saying that we adapt not only to the equipment, but also to our patients. And what suggestions do you have for those patients who you put them back 10 degrees? They're like, Oh, I don't go that far back. I, can't. <laughs> I, I I don't I don't go that far back and then of course you know right. the joke is the dentist walks in and they put them pretty much oh, on their head and of course fine. so that's exactly what you do first of all I don't know why we do this as high. I think I know why we do this as hygienists but we put our patient chair up straight up and down before the patient comes in I think we do that from years ago when we were having to do bisecting angle and the first thing we did was take x-rays and we would you and you need to have it straight <laughs> up and down you know those people, right? Those people, are, you see them on your schedule in the morning and you go, oh, I swear she has followed me since stretching. high school, right? You're like, yeah, oh, you're like, get ready. She, the she in quotes, has been with me at every single office I've been to. There's always, they're always there, right? And you see them immediately at your huddle. When you know that person is coming in, before they come in, tip your chair back a good 20% already before they even get in the chair. They're not even going to notice that that is different. What they don't, most of the time, if there's not a medical problem, what they don't like is going back. They don't mind being back. They don't, it's going back that they don't like. So if you already have the chair tipped back an extra 20, 25%, then you're going to tip them back another 20% and you'll get some, and they'll go, you realize I can't lie, lie backwards. And you say, yes, I know. I remember. Yes, I, I definitely remember. So, so at least you get an extra definitely. 20 or 25. Yeah. Or here's the other thing. We all know, like, as you said, that when the dentist comes in, they, they can slam them all the way back. And then they just look up at the dentist's blue eyes and, you know, fall in love. With loving eyes. And then, exactly. and then give out their medical history that they didn't also tell us. <laughs> exactly. So if it's really bad, if your back is hurting that day, Ask your dentist to walk back with you with that patient. Have the dentist put them all the way back and then leave. Yeah. I mean, and then say, and then Cindy's going to clean your teeth. And then the patient looks at you and says, you know, I can't lay back like this. And you say, oh, well, yes, I know that. He, he or she didn't know that. But, of course, I know that. And you bring them up a good 20%. But at least you've already got them lying backwards. Oh, so there's your two choices. <laughs> I like it. Clever. Is there yeah. any... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say, you're not ignoring their needs. You really are paying attention to them, but you're just fine. It's two ways to get around that. For sure. So is there any recommendations for those patients that, let's say that there is a medical condition and they have to be in a certain position, any adjustments in our stool and in our way of maybe standing, maybe, maybe we should stand up or like what suggestions do you have for us? 
I have two suggestions, and I know the problem because I'm one of the problems. It's when you have barrel-chested Bob or big-chested Cindy who comes into your chair, and it's very hard to get around us, right? Hey, it is what it is. Um, that's the purpose. I want you, I tell people I want you to I, I can tell people how to adjust a saddle stool properly, but I also want those paddles are not meant to be put there and never touched for the next 20 years. You're supposed to be adjusting that stool to that patient that comes in. So I can tell you how to sit in neutral position and have you perfectly balanced. But then someone like me comes in that you need to get up and over me. I will tell you to take that chair, raise it higher, and then take the chair and tip it into the patient for that time frame. So now instead of adjusting, instead of me leaning into that patient, I'm going to take that stool and make the stool lean me into that patient. And, and I will hinge at my hips, but still keep my back straight. But just for that time that I'm scaling that patient. Then when I'm finished scaling, then I tip it back and put it into the neutral position and talk to them about their treatment needs. So that's one thing. It's absolutely using the products around you instead of changing you. But the second thing is, is there are many products. Um, Crescent Products makes a lot of pillows that you can use for their head. There's pillows for their knees to, to help raise them up. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of, and they're, you know, like they're made out of memory foam where they have those little beans in them or whatever. Those all work great. And if, you're, if, you, if we get specific about that headrest, there is one side that is for, uh, it's kind of in a bean shape, I will say, where one side is thicker than the other. And depending upon how you position that, is meant for the maxillary to when you're working on the maxilla and when you're working on the, the mandibular arch. So you're supposed to move that, reposition that pillow according to what arch you're working on. And I would even say reposition the headrest on the chair. I feel like yeah. that's not ha done nearly enough and I do it every single patient and it's gotten to be such a habit for me that when I do sit down with my um, let's say my students or I do come in after the dentist I'm making that adjustment and patients have commented over and over again like oh I didn't know that it could do that right not all chairs have that um, double articulation but if you have it it's perfect it's the same as having that pillow that you can put on it and think about it if we can't sit in that position for 45 minutes Really, neither can the patient. The patient mm -hmm. needs those extra aids also. They have the same muscles we do. <laughs> they just don't use them over and over the same ones every hour, but it's still difficult for them. No, absolutely. Andrew, what questions do you got? Well, I was hoping that we could switch gears for a minute, Cindy. I kind of want to go back to, you know, you were telling earlier about you go to your annual meeting, so-and-so wasn't there because of, um, and I quote, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then um, I want to know what these blah, blah, blahs are. These syndromes, these injuries, the things that you're mentioning, what are the common ones that we're seeing in our profession and maybe some prevention uh, tips and tricks to kind of combat that? There are so many of them, Andrew, that actually what I've done when I give my presentations, I give out a list of um, different syndromes and injuries that we can get um, because, and I, I, on it, I list, here's the I give them out to everyone that's in there in the in my audience because it answers the questions that I, it took me a long time to find all that information and so I figured I, I'm not trying to diagnose I'm not a doctor I'm not a physical therapist mm -hmm. but I'm trying to give them ideas of what they should be looking for and so in the the list that I give to them I divided um, Anne Guion actually uh, she and I worked on this together and we divided into the head the hands and the hiney <laughs> and the three different areas of the body where we can get different um, uh, different problems, different injuries. And it starts off with the top portion of it discusses the um, definition of the problem. The middle portion of it discusses the symptoms. And the last portion is the treatment. So it gives everybody an idea of what they could be, can be looking for. But I will tell you, most of the treatments are almost always the same. It's ice, physical therapy, and then surgery. I mean, we work on down. And let me tell you something. When People think, oh, I'll just wait on this. I got to get the kids through college or whatever. I'll wait. To, I'm just going to ignore this. Let me tell you, they don't put Humpty Dumpty back together again to put him right back up on the wall. Many mm -hmm. times we have surgery and it's not to put us right back into dental hygiene. It is just to put us back into the world, to, to functioning. I have pictures of hygienists trying to hold a pen to write a check. They barely can hold the pen to write a check after their surgery. So and I don't mean immediately after their surgery, I mean years after their surgery, that's the best that they can get from the surgery because they waited too long. There's no way you're gonna be able to put a scaler back into that 
person's hands. So it's the, the real answer is the sooner the better. Um, I can tell you there's different ones for you, there. We all think carpal tunnel is the big thing for hygienists. It, it really is not that big of a deal. Um, I mean, it's not the most. And Guion and I did a surge, uh, survey and I'm going to look back and read the numbers because I don't want to misquote. But we did a survey back in 2012. We had over 1,200 hygienists that responded in two and a half weeks. Now, I realize this is what's called a convenient survey. You know, I can't tell we did it in social media and then we asked everyone who received it to send it off to anyone they knew in dentistry. So I can't tell you how many people it actually met. But after two and a half weeks, I, I'm telling Ann, where, uh, where's the button to turn this thing off? You know, uh, this is <laughs> way too much. I know how much, you know, I like the thing I like about dental hygiene is that we, uh, the only math that's, a, that's involved for us is we have to count to 32, right? <laughs> and I'm thinking about all of the statistical analysis that we have to do with 1200 responses. I'm, you know, I'm like, Turn this thing Make off. It ridiculous. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. So, but let me tell you, um, from that, I'm going to read this. From our primary injury sites, the neck had 63%, the sh shoulder 54%, lower back 36 and mid to upper back 28 And if you will hmm. add that up, I can do that math, right? That is way more than 100. That means people are reporting multiple injuries, not just yeah. one, but more than one. And what we found out is, um, so I was kind of happy when I got this because I thought, you know, if I can send it to someone else to do the analysis, I can start figuring out when these injuries occur. And I could probably get a timeline for dental hygienist to tell them, okay, so the first three years is going to be your neck. So you need to do preventative procedures for your neck now. Don't worry about all the hands. You know, we'll do that later. You know, I thought I could get a timeline for everyone. Um, and what it turned out is, so neck injury was the first, but after we started analyzing, like, when did you start, when was this reported, or when did you start noticing the syndromes, we found out that um, neck injury tripled within the first 10 years of practicing, the occurrence mm. of it. Some of them were even coming out of, um, during their first year, 13% already had neck injuries. Now, I don't think that happened in the first year. I think we can combine that with the time that they were in school, because there are many right schools who do not allow hygienists to even use loops during during um, their education, which I can go on for that. Okay. Head explosion again. Um, I know. The what next... no one caught was a giant eye roll that I just yes. did. I think I actually yes. hurt my eye muscle. <laughs> you need to balance those, by the way. You need to stop rolling so much. <laughs> <laughs> or at least go the opposite direction. Exactly. Make sure if I roll it one time, one way, I have to do it the next <laughs> So after neck, then it was shoulder injuries, and those shoulder injuries doubled within the first 10 years. Then it was lower back. That was almost double in the first 10 years. So what I was finding was not the information I wanted. I could not get a timeline for everyone because everything was happening within the first two, 10 years. Mm -hmm. So that's what our research proved to us is that with the first it's most important to practice your best ergonomics within the first 10 years now you have to realize these were hygienists sometimes had been practicing 50 years which 50 years ago they didn't have any any products that would help them so so we're again we're kind of in the the, the change over time right now and we're hoping that those numbers with all the products that are out there that are helping us those numbers are going to go way back you know they're going to scale way back if we would do the same survey say in seven or eight years that's that's our hope so for us this was a baseline but the other reason why I couldn't um, produce a timeline is we're not all starting at the same position. Just as you said, Michelle, you you had some dental assisting experience before you came into dental hygiene. Well, you were, um, sorry to say, <laughs> you were damaged before you came. <laughs> and, and in more in a ways different than way. one. <laughs> and in a different way. So what I really um, try to emphasize in my presentations on ergonomics is we all are on an ergonomic journey. We have to be on that journey until the end of our career. You constantly have to be looking for new products, but no one's journey is going to be the same. Your journey is going to be different than mine. I never did dental assisting, so I, ha I have different problems. But 
there are some people who uh, had a had a um, car accident and broke their back. You know, their journey is going to be a lot going to need to be a lot faster and more and more concentrated for their back and, the, and their neck than someone else's. Someone else may have um, crushed their hand or, you know, done something like that. So they're going to have to pay attention more to their journey is going to start with their hand. So these statistics give us a start, but it's really everyone's journey is going to be a little bit different. And it's just a matter of listening to all the ergonomic information and plugging in your own journey. So, uh, and I know we got to wrap this up because Andrew, my producer, <laughs> keeps me on a time. But uh, behavior modification, I think we, we talk about that with patients, like uh, how can we get them to have better compliance and how do we modify their behavior and get them more, you know, involved in their, their own oral health. And I think the same thing goes for us. Like how can we modify our behavior and so do you have any like quick tips and tricks like maybe when the doctor's running you know a little behind because they're talking about that ballerina dance recital like could you be right. like I don't know put your like do a stretch in the doorway or stretch right. your arms or like do you have some things for that there are many um, exercises that can be done. Bethany Valahi, if anyone ever has a chance to listen to her speak, she's a physical therapist out of Washington. She has done a tremendous amount of work for us um, ergonomics in the in the dental world. She has um, a number of videos that you can do that uh, on the ball. And why has it's it's on an exercise ball? Why has she put us on an exercise ball? Because she knows that we bend over all day, so our exercises to balance should be on the back of our back should be laying on a ball. There, it's a great um, exercise video that she has. Julie K and 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 Bethany Valley he has also done exercises that you can do while you're sitting in the dental chair, and they're laminated and they have a little hole in the top. You can hook hook them like on the inside of a of a cabinet and hang them up so that you can be doing those exercises while the doctor's talking too long about his fishing trip or whatever while they're in the chair. Um, or if you're lucky enough to have an assistant who's helping you um, disinfect the room, you can be doing those during your cleanup time. Those are some great things to do. Last minute tips. Julie Kagan has written a book. She's a dental hygienist, has written a book about um, Pilates for the seated dental profession, for the seated professional, which we fall into. There's a, uh, Bethany has written, um, oh, I, practicing dentistry pain-free. Her husband is a dentist. So there's a lot of great books and a lot of great exercises that are out there. And she's in the Washington area, you said? Yes, she is. Okay, Andrew, get on that. Right. <laughs> it's your territory there. Um, so for our, let's say, baby new grad students, like, do you have any like final advice for them? Just start your ergonomics immediately. And know that just because you know it's not just having your instructor come tap you on the back saying sit up straight sit up straight there are a lot of other things that go along with it in fact usually when we tell someone to sit up straight they end up raising their shoulders and getting their shoulders out of neutral position that it, that is not the answer we need to explain to them about the neutral position i think if we explain the neutral position they will understand um, why ergonomics is so important. It's not just something else that you're going to get tested on and after next Friday, after the test is over on Friday, forget about it. It has to go on forever and ever and it will continue. And don't go in walking into these exhibit halls just to go, oh, what's the latest flavor in Profi Paste? Let's go over there and get that one. Um, go to those exhibit halls. The, as soon as you get in that door, what should be in your head is start asking the exhibitors, what do you have that will help me um, have a long and healthy career. Look at it completely different. It's all about what is, what do they have that will help you, not what's the latest profi paste flavor out there. Amen to that. <laughs> um, so where can people find you? Maybe courses, if um, maybe products that you're working with, like tell us all those things about, uh, I'm sure people are going to have so many questions or you're going to, you have peaked some <laughs> interest in them and they're going to want to find out more. I hope so. I hope so. I truly hope so. Um, you can always reach me. I do. I am the clinical educator for Crown Seating, um, which is the manufacturer for um, saddle stools and other stools, but particularly saddle stools, and also for Dental Works, which is the portable dental equipment. But you can always get me if you have ergonomic questions. You can always get me at cperdy at crownseating.com. I will be happy to answer any questions that you have. How I have, you can go to YouTube. I, there's an, a, vid, a video on how that I made on how to adjust. Um, uh, saddle stool properly because 
you can sit in a sta saddle stool the wrong way and it hurts even more. So um, give me a little bit of a break on the video. I didn't know they were going to videotape me that day. I forgot to wear, I, I would, <laughs> if I would have known I would have worn Spanx that day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, when it comes to ergonomics, I'm always here. I will be in the crown seating um, booth for um, ADHA and RDH under one roof this year. I'll be, we are taking, um, we are, scheduling customized seating appointments. If someone wants to come and have me do a uh, personalized appointment for them, you can contact me at that crown seating and I will be happy to schedule an appointment just for you. Or otherwise you can come into the booth and enjoy it with us. We usually just have like a little quilting bee and everybody sits around and compares their stories and shares information. So either way, I'll do it privately with you or you can come to the booth and I will be more than happy to help everyone. That's awesome. And we've talked about this and you and I both work separate booths, so we never get this opportunity, I but I would love to do like a Facebook live one day at Crown Seating and maybe like adjust Andrew and or I. Yep, that would be <laughs> perfect. We, we would love to do that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all this information. And I know that we only like scratch the surface. I know we did. So maybe we'll have you back again. We would love to have you back. And if for any reason you ever see Cindy's name on a lecture um, pamphlet or anything, go go to it. Go to it because I'm sure there's a wealth of information that, again, we did not touch on. And please recommend me to your state associations. I would love to come to each state association and talk with each and every one of you. That's great. Perfect advice. Anything else, Andrew? I'm good. Cindy, thank you so much for being here. I, I'm it. thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Uh, awesome. Thanks. Hey. All right. So that was a fantastic interview with Cindy Purdy. We thank her very much for her time. Um, don't forget to use the promo code ATOTH5 for our special offer this week, $5 off of a 50-pack, which again was normally $25. Now it's only $20. Use that and make your lives a little bit easier as you are ultrasonicing away out of your life. Also, <laughs> did I catch a tss? You, did. you didn't like my ultrasonicing away of your life? It was more of a, it wasn't a, un, an, an unlike of it. It's just an I, I felt like it, that I felt like it was my an mouth. <laughs> Cycle, uh, Never mind. Um, so yeah, check us out on the Facebook page. We have RDH under one roof coming up that we'll be at. We have um, a conference over in Wisconsin starting in October called Indigo Indigo Conference, <laughs> and uh, that's gonna be a really fun one. And we're doing a lot of the planning stages for that one. Check us out on Instagram. We have one of those, right? Instagram. We do and have one of those. Do we have like we the Twitter, the tweeting, the, tw the We're not, tweets? Not very active on do the we Twitter. Do we do do we do the the snappy thingies? We are not on the snappy uh, thingies. Okay, so Instagram and Facebook. That's what we do. There you and, go. Um, I simplified it just for you, Andrew. I appreciate it, and mm -hmm. thank you to everyone that's listening. Hope you have a great week. Yes. Bye, y'all. Bye. guess I'm going to be working the most today. <laughs> I'm yeah, kidding. It's I'm about kidding. time. I'm tired of carrying this podcast all the time. <laughs> <laughs>